Welcome one and all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here talking about everything that's going on in Canadian news from a leftist perspective. And Christo, do you feel like we are now officially under an emergency state? Do you feel like we are now more with the government at our throats than ever before? Or do you feel pretty much the same? Um... Yeah, I, clearly we live under tyranny. <laughs> this I, may be the last podcast uh, in Canada. Not lo- our last podcast. We yeah. may have the last the last episode of any podcast. Of ever. No, no, yeah. I mean, if, if you listen to our good friend um, uh, Tucker Carlson of Fox yeah. News, but, buddy, um, yeah. when, the, when, the, uh, when the act, the Emergencies Act officially passed, uh, he broke into his regular coverage and said, you know, Canada has fallen to tyranny. We'll have more for you. <laughs> just so, like that. that was, yeah. I like just that he like said that. we'll have more for you, too. Yeah, Not yeah, like, yeah. let's keep talking about can, it. Yeah. It's just, yeah, oh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll check on that. Yeah, he went to commercial, right? You got <laughs> to get those MyPillow ads. And I think those actually are pulled now. But in any case, like, no, I mean, look, there are legitimate concerns people have, including probably many of our listeners and many people who we would agree with on, say, 95% of issues with the Emergencies Act. But also, I think it's sort of become clear that it hasn't plunged Canada into, uh, you know, a tyrannical state. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's become clear that even in the context of the act being active, because remember, it sort of kicked in. Uh, when Justin Trudeau, pro- you know, you know, uh, initiated it and then was confirmed by legislation, you know, uh, last night. We're recording this Tuesday night, so about 24 hours ago now. Um, and there was, you know, no, you know, systematic violence against mm-hmm. the protesters. I'm not going to say the police were, you know, lily white in their in their <laughs> in their handling of it all. People still probably got roughed up, but it was far more mild than any labor protest, any indigenous protest, any environmentalist protest I've, I've seen when, you know, the the police go in to break it up. Many of the people that have been uh, arrested have gotten bail hearings far quicker than others. Mm-hmm. Most of people seem to have gotten bail, although not all. Tamara Lich, apparently her bail's been denied. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that it's pretty, it's been handled pretty reasonably. There's been some lies, frankly, from some conservative MPs mm-hmm. of of like, you know, uh, Brienne from Chilliwack. I don't know if you've heard this, getting her bank account frozen over a yeah. $50 donation to the convoy. <laughs> uh, when it was made clear that uh, it, donations to the convoy were only frozen uh, after a certain date. So people who donated three, four weeks ago, uh, whether or not we like those people, uh, they they weren't punished. And it was I think it was only the largest accounts. Uh, I believe uh, 70 some accounts Mm -hmm. totaling, you know, millions, a a couple million bucks. It works out to like about $40,000 in each account. So we're not necessarily talking about millionaires. Yeah, no, if if they stopped everyone who donated, we wouldn't have much of a police force left here in Canada, right? Yeah. Like we wouldn't have. (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. Right. And so I think it's been fairly reasonable, honestly. I think where we landed last week was that the act shouldn't have been needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think Leah Gazan did a fantastic job. Uh, uh, the NDP in its entirety in Parliament uh, voted to uh, in, in favor of the act. Uh, but Leah Gazan gave a great speech about how there's a failure of leadership 
from the federal government and from the provincial and municipal governments as well, of course. So both Ford and Jim Watson and Justin Trudeau kind of all fucked it up mm-hmm. in, in various ways to varying degrees. Um, in addition to the failure of the conservative party to not just feed into the to the far right mob. Um, but but that, you know, this is a serious issue. Mm-hmm. It really is. And earlier today, and this was confirmed through some preliminary stuff we saw, like when the occupation was still fully live in downtown Ottawa, members of the military, including uh, elite task forces, were there, active members. At least some former police officers played organized roles. And earlier today, and I think I shared this with Andy, this was just a little bit before we recorded, but David Cochran of the CBC, he's the parliamentary reporter uh, in Ottawa, says that uh, multiple, sharing an article from the Toronto Star, multiple cops named in leaked Freedom Convoy donor list. Mm -hmm. So in essence, active Ontario police officers... Uh, from the Tro- OPP and from the Toronto police were on the donors list. So in essence, that's a big deal. Like that's important. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, right? Yeah. You have you have police officers donating to a protest that was illegal from the start. Like, look, mm. let's be real. I, I, you know, you have your first amendment. Your 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 your, <laughs> your first you know, amendment your, rights, right? Yeah, your first amendment <laughs> right. You know, to to protest in that in that very interesting parlance you've been seeing a lot of people assert. American rights in our Canadian courts, but you know you have a fundamental right to protest and 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 to have free speech, which those rights aren't limited. But like they were still breaking laws that mm-hmm. were unrelated to speech. Yeah, like even if you think someone has free speech, and even if you think that free speech gives you the right to block roads, and I think within some cases it does, uh, and even with your trucks, they were just like hauling gas cans. Mm-hmm which are like a major, you know, incendiary concern. There were issues of harassment, yeah, verbal assault, and physical. Just, just horrible. Yeah. There mm-hmm. was uh, vandalism. Uh, there were instances of of public waste. There were instances of people building structures like on the road, like beer beer tents and stuff. <laughs> All of these things are crimes. And so you have police officers donating to an event that is brazenly committing crimes that go beyond, you know, your fundamental human right of expression, right? Like the the crime was not that people were protesting. It's that they were assaulting people and, and destroying public property and those sorts of things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so in, in a sense, I mean, I, I have, I think seeing police officers donate uh, is a major factor here. I think one of the, there's really two things here. There's the failure of local police and provincial police uh, to actually address this, right? And so what you end up having is a jurisdictional vacuum. If the mm-hmm. local police and the provincial police won't do anything, then you might need the federal government to step in. And one of the reasons the Emergencies Act exists is to give the federal government a, on a temporary basis powers that are not only different from regular powers, but maybe sort of intrude, for lack of a better term, into provincial jurisdiction. Because the province is unwilling or unable to deal with the issue. And that's what we have here, right? Like, mm-hmm. whether it was the, the purposeful on behalf of the mayor and the premier, the reality is that they couldn't get the job done, right? 
Uh, and they were lying about it. Like, I mean, <laughs> the, the Ottawa mayor was like, oh, they're, they're, and the Ottawa police were like, there's no way we could tow the trucks. Well, they got in there and they towed the trucks. The <laughs> trucks are gone, right? Like, it, it took like a day and a half. Yeah. And if right? you, you haven't noticed, so, if you're not in Canada or haven't been keeping up, the, I guess, general tenor of the Freedom Convoy has all but passed. There are still holdouts. There's still people in these areas. But I, I there do There are people think, congregating on a farm yeah. just outside of Ottawa. There are still protests. Uh, it's not the same, though. In Vancouver. It's definitely not the same, yeah. though. And that's where, where journalists were getting spat on and physically assaulted. I mean, like, the, the reality is... Uh, the, the police factor, I think there is there was a justification. Now, the the tougher issue, and I think maybe this is where there there should be could be more debate, is about the need to freeze bank accounts. Whether that was valid, is that done properly? Because I'm not sure on that necessarily. But on the whole, I think I I support the implementation of the act. Former NDP leader Ed Broadbent, who was a young member of Parliament in 1970. Uh, when the Emergencies Act was was enacted by Pierre Trudeau, uh, wrote an article uh, uh, where he said that the Emergencies Act is in no way comparable to the uh, War Measures Act. Mm -hmm. uh, it has less power. It is subordinate to the Charter of Rights. Um, and frankly, when it was written, and uh, Jen Hassam, who is the publisher of Press Progress, uh, who we've, we've often cited on this on this podcast. Uh, did a really good Twitter thread where she uh, outlined some of the history. Uh, and, you know, even though the Emergencies Act was passed in 1988 under a majority, a majority PC government uh, federally, um, it was subject to dozens of amendments from the opposition, including the NDP, most of which were accepted. Uh, and so the act, while unprecedented, I do not think is heralded in any sort of major damage. Now, mm -hmm. maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, I think there's two ways of looking at this. I just fundamentally disagree with the people who say this will be used as a cudgel on the left. I'm not going to get back into that argument. We talked about it last week. What they do to the left, they already do much worse to us. Again, every single day, the state is crushing your average teacher, nurse, public sector worker in Ontario. They literally are banned. It is literally criminal, illegal for them to demand a wage above a certain amount. Like just it it, 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 these things are much bigger, much wider, much more pervasive fundamental violations of of basic human rights. Because the right to bargain collectively is a basic human right recognized under the Charter. Um, so I, I think that argument's wrong. Now, whether or not you feel this is a violation of civil liberty, I think there's a debate there. But I think on the whole, uh, it hasn't been done in a way that. Uh, makes me fear for the liberties in the country. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't. And if, if, if this leads to attacks on the left, I'm, I'm skeptical yeah. because they would just do it if they wanted to do it. And they already are, as we said before. Yeah, and they already are. There's and no they reason will why not in the to. future. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, uh, how do you think Jagmeet is doing in regards to this? Cause he did, you know, say made it very clear, uh, Monday that this is not a blank check. We're uh, prepared to pull our support as soon as the act is no longer needed and is giving suggestions that, you know, his the party is going to be there to, uh, you know, make sure this is curtailed if it's needed, that reluctant support. Do you think that that was, uh, you know, a good move here or 
is there any real need for this to happen? Like, do you really think that Trudeau is ever going to push it in this instance now that it's already passed? Maybe in the future, that's another debate about its uses again. But, you know, firstly, did uh, Singh do the right thing? And then also, you know, do you really think that Trudeau is going to push this? Because I, I don't really see that happening. I mean, I think in terms of, well, there's two things, morally and politically. Politically, the jury's still out. Uh, it is clear that the um, majority of Canadians do support the act. Uh, we, I think we saw two polls out on it. One was closer. It was more like uh, 50-something, 40-something in favor, but with a strong partisan effect such that the vast majority of liberal and vast majority of NDP voters uh, supported use of the act. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another poll, I think, had it basically, this was another one by Maru, uh, this was the first poll that came out said 66% support using the act. So the polling is still a little um, wobbly on it. We don't like, we haven't seen every pollster come out, but it's clear that it has some measure of support. And critically, it's very well supported by NDPers. We haven't necessarily seen much polling since the act has been coming out about about general horse race. I think Nanos may have a paywalled poll people are referencing, but we don't have the data out. It's not officially released. So we can't say like whether Singh and the NDP are going to go up or down in the polls. But I think they've handled it pretty well. And even Chantal Hébert, uh, who's a, you know, you all, you'll often see her on the CBC as on the uh, political panel, and she's a columnist for the Toronto Star. And she did uh, a piece saying that Jugmeet has been the most consistent on the issue, uh, has been... Uh, you know, from the very start of the convoy, one of the most vocal critics and has walked that that tightrope quite effectively. And I, and I think I agree mm-hmm. that it, it's a tough position to be in because you don't want to implement the act because there are risks to people's civil liberties. Uh, you want to protect people, but you also want to protect rights. You want to be critical of the government, but you don't just want to vote against something just for the sake of voting against it. And I think that the NDP's answer, which we saw both from from Singh, but also the parties left, because Matthew Green and Nikki Ashton and Leah Gazan, who we often you know uh, talk a, quite highly of, and they've all been guests on this on this program, um, have basically said that you know this was white supremacist violence. Mm-hmm. In many ways, this is an emergency, and we should treat it as such. And 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 I and I don't disagree. And so I think Singh has handled it quite well. Yeah. Whether this is well politically or not, I mean, some of these things are hard to predict. Um, the ball's does, always rolling. There's something new yeah. at, that we're going to talk about in about 20 minutes here. So it, it yeah. is interesting to see how these things change. What do you think about the the tap dancing from the Tories, though, when there was such tacit support initially for this convoy as it was making its way across Canada to now hoot and holler and decry the loss of civil liberties while still trying to maintain your distance from the actual movement that's causing the government to use the emergencies act. Like it is almost laughable when I was watching, you know, what's like the, what the interim leader was saying, like it is just a blatant joke. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, look, the conservatives, I I still think are largely like they say they support the convoy. They've tried to distance themselves from some of them, the, the organizers like the Pat Kings and whatnot, who have said truly abhorrent things. We're not, again, we don't need to get into that, although he, I, I don't know if we covered it last week, but he launched some pretty sickening direct attacks on Jugmeet and on Sikh truckers mm. uh, and, and all of those sorts of things. Jugmeet has gotten direct racist hate 
uh, in this in part because, you know, he's high profile and because he's the only leader of color right now, the only high profile federal leader of color uh, right now. And, um, you know, he's he's gotten a lot of vitriol that isn't about his political beliefs, but about the fact that he's a brown man that has an opinion that goes against a largely white nationalist rabble. Right? Oh, yeah, no, this the, is definitely yeah. a workers' movement yeah. then, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. absolutely. Exactly, right? <laughs> but, the, the, but the fact of the matter is, like, um, I don't know, I think they're going to lean into it more or less, right? Yeah. They're going to try to say that we defend civil liberties. And if you look, and we could just talk about this briefly, I wasn't sure if we had have time, but I think it dovetails well. It's like, the conservatives are definitely making a move. Like, after O'Toole was dumped, we really said, well, like, O'Toole's been dumped, his whole shtick, whether it was sincere or not, was run as run as moderates or relative moderates, mm-hmm. because that's the only way we're going to be able to win over middle class suburban Canadians, and we'll govern uh, as conservatives, but we won't be uh, overly ideological and overly strident in that conservatism, and otherwise we can't win. Like we, the 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 very conservative people have a role to play in our party, but not in the leadership. We need moderate leadership. It's basically his argument. But um, he was turfed in favor of Candace Bergen, at least on an interim basis. And Bergen has made a move to rem- uh, in her building of the shadow cabinet to remove some fairly high-profile people that are seen in relative terms as moderates, like Michelle Garner and, and, and others. Uh, again, I'm not necessarily... I would call Michelle uh, uh, Rempel-Garner mm-hmm. uh, a... Yeah, um, it's wild to hear you say that. A moderate... <laughs> But but the reality is that, like, she's not a super social conservative. Yeah. Um, and by removing her, who was a very prominent MP, some people thought she was going to run last time. That was uh, a, a big, a big factor. Another one was Eric Duncan. Eric Duncan was a, he's a conservative MP. He's a conservative guy. Um, but he uh, was one of the conservatives that supported ending the, the homophobic blood ban. And things like that. Yeah. So again, a guy that that has some uh, some some values that I think are are more in line with what people would want from a a a, a moderate conservative party. And so, as Peter Julian, the NDP MP, said, Eric Duncan, Michelle Rumpelgardner, uh, Gerald Detel, some of the more effective conservative MPs have been purged for the crime of being moderate. Hashtag CPC is driving r- rapidly to far right extremism. Maxime Bernier must be over the moon with this reverse takeover. Any moderates left? And again, whether or not you think they're actually moderates, whether you think that's like an accurate representation relative to maybe the new leadership on especially cultural issues it's become very clear that the conservatives are going to lean hard into this direction they're going into. Now, maybe they feel they can square the circle and now they can sort of pivot away from the convoy itself mm-hmm. and say, this isn't about the convoy anymore. This is about civil liberty. We'll have to wait and see. I, I think but, their constituents would love yeah. that. Like that's yeah. exactly what I think so many conservatives in this country want because they realize, wait a second, most people, and we've seen the polling on this, are not comfortable with the direction that the convoy was going, what it no, actually no, represented, didn't believe in it, but now they can pivot to something that I think is the culture war victory for the conservatives in this country. If they can push this as a 
real act of tyranny. Like we, we get our cues in many ways from what we see in the United States. And as soon as Tucker Carlson said, you know, Canada's fallen to tyranny, that I think really does push a lot of conservative uh, voters here in Canada to support that sort of imagery and realize maybe that will be the messaging going forward. Because And the funny thing is, if the Emergencies Act actually caused any sort of, at least that we've seen so far, onerous uh, punishment to these, in many cases, very violent and uh, dangerous protesters, the first people that we would hear it from are, of course, conservative outlets. And as much as it was trying to be boosted and pushes pushed, we haven't seen that killer no. story. You know, we They've haven't literally seen... had to make stuff up. Yeah, it's like just they had it's to not make happening. Brand... You know, there's a new there's a new Twitter account called Brienne from. Uh, from from Chilliwack, right? And it, it's it's fake, like it's a it's a parody, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, a conservative MP had to basically say, "Oh, I got a constituent who only donated fifty dollars, and they're a single mother." And it's like, no, that 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 didn't happen. Yeah. Like, nice story, bro. Because look, the, the probably the accounts that are frozen are not sympathetic, and whether you agree with it or not, from a political perspective, it's probably hard for the conservatives to say, "Oh, you know, this poor, you know." Uh, crypto mining fucking ghoul <laughs> gave $50,000 under the name like free Europe from you know muslims.com yeah. website and he's just a hard working scrabble hard scrabbling Canadian yeah you know like he's I, real I, middle I don't class know, right? yeah. yeah yeah you know what I mean though so like yeah they're definitely in a sense um trying to to change the narrative because even their own supporters i mean that poll that we shared the one that said uh from from just after the i I think just before the act was implemented or just after it was but it was like a poll that i shared uh, in our in our in our chat just a few days ago the maru public opinion one said that while 66 percent support the emergencies act um 82 percent say the protest has gone on too long yeah right right so like Yeah, so like even if people didn't support the act, which uh, many conservatives did not, um, the most did not, most conservatives did actually agree that the protest had gone on far too long. Mm-hmm. And so maybe maybe this is uh, the, the the Tory strategy is to, to to forget about the convoy and to focus on on the the issue of civil liberty, uh, sincere if they're whether or not they're sincere. Um, and, and maybe that also helps because who knows with information about uh, coming out, this could also be bad for the conservatives. If we mm. get a real sense that the convoy had the potential to be more dangerous, we sort of all just stop talking about the guys that tried to tape and handcuff the door shut of buildings yeah. while they uh, tried to light them a, a fire. Um, we don't know 100% who caused that, if they, it was ideological or blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, like, if these things are investigated and all of a sudden you got conservative MPs donating money and they donated it to a cause that's connected to a terrorist arson plot, then that might not look good for them, right? Guns so in Peterborough, of, yeah. you know? It's just, yeah. it, it's not going to work. It yeah. really does seem like yeah. all of the cards are stacked against... Trudeau using the Emergencies Act in any way that is slightly untoward. Considering the entire possible movement policy 
of the Tories going forward is for something big to happen so they can have this cudgel moving forward for the, for the NDP. You know, it's imp- they can be there as that sober second note to say how, how bad this was. There's no real reason why there's I, I really don't see the benefit for those of you that are concerned, even if you're looking at this from Trudeau's most malice and, you know, deadened eyes. There's no real upside for him to use this act to impose anything that is more that can be seen publicly as a win for any other party that goes across any sort of boundary. Because like you said, Christo, this government cuts past boundaries all the time, historically and presently, for anyone that believes in maybe leftist or humanist values. They'll, they'll kick your ass and break your teeth if you want to give people water that are unhoused in Toronto. You know, they'll make yeah. sure that uh, they have the snipers set up if you're legally defending your sovereign land out west. But there's no real reason. I really don't see the upside for those of you that are concerned for Trudeau to to push this or for the party to move this act in any way because all the eyes are on him. The Tories need him to do this so they can continue this kind of ramp up culture war. And I just I think that fortunately, as as complicated as this could be, it's not going to bend the way that people are afraid for not for perhaps good reason that like morally it's, it's not right. And that, you know, economically, we, we need to be responsible in this way. But for the most cynical and horrible reasons, atavistic reasons even, that it won't benefit Trudeau and the Liberal Party. So why the fuck would he do it? Like, I I, I really don't think we're going to see anything else from this. We could be wrong. Yeah. Like, you and I could be yeah. way off on this. There, but There was a Main Street poll that had the Conservatives up 10 points back, like, last week. But it is by and far like the most outlier poll we've seen in months. Yeah. We ha- we don't have any information on that yet, and it may well be the case that Justin Trudeau uh, did uh, did polling on this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and to see, and I I wonder how much movement this will cause because the parties are pretty locked in. Mm-hmm. M- very very few NDPers oppose the act. Looking at the polling, very few Liberals oppose it. Very few conservatives support it. Very few PPCers support it. The Greens are sort of divided, but they lean towards support as well. Uh, I don't know how many people this moves politically. The one benefit the conservatives have, and Philippe Fournier from 338, who does a call, uh, who's a polling, does polling aggregator, did a uh, a piece in McLean's. What he said was that it's true that the 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 the, the pro emergency act uh, side of the debate is larger. It's about 52, 53% of the population to about 43, 44%. But the uh, uh, people who oppose the Emergencies Act are more uh, engaged on the issue and uh, care more about yeah. the issue. Passionate and that is one it, potential imagine, yeah. benefit for the conservatives is, uh, is, is base engagement and it's fundraising and it's all of that. And that could be one benefit for the Oh, man, because- we are going to see this in fundraising yeah. letters for the next years yeah. and years. Like, absolutely. Yeah. There's no chance that not yeah. everyone involved. I guarantee the NDP is still going to, you know, get some of this sweet, sweet honey talking about the Freedom Convoy. And it's a it's a complicated issue because, Crystal, we've been talking about this now. This is our third week in a row discussing this. And like we said before, at first... 
I, I didn't almost want to give it the the purchase that it did. But like we said, it is actively dangerous. There were instances of what you would call, what everyone would call terrorism. Fortunately, no one was uh, killed or, or hurt in a way that you might expect from a, a grouping like this. But it is something that became dangerous. And the fact that it started in a way that I think perhaps wasn't dangerous and was almost like a folly for some of the worst people to be racist and horrible, but turned into something that is makes this a really complicated issue for Canadians, but kind of a a great one politically for these parties that, that want to take advantage. So I, I'm, I'm, I do think, what do you think, Chris? So next week, do you think we'll be talking freedom convoy? Um, I don't, I don't think so. Unless we have breaking, Unless we have breaking news about, um, you know, the, the funding of it, uh, unless there's like another major protest that pops up. I mean, we could talk, we might talk a little bit about treatment of media because it's been pretty horrendous. There was, oh, yeah. uh, and may that might continue at, at satellite protests. Again, uh, one of the uh, global news uh, uh, anchors, uh, uh, reporters did a uh, hit for MSNBC, uh, you know, the American network. Uh, and during that was getting spat on and called names and there was, it was profane. And yesterday there was a, um, uh, video shared by a, uh, CTV reporter out in British Columbia of a cameraman almost being knocked over his camera being knocked out of his hand. And you could literally see two men spit on the reporter and cameraman. I don't know if they hit them, but you could visibly see it. It wasn't, you know, sort of implied through a throng of people. You could see the men spit, which is assault. It's like, that's literally especially assault. Especially like, now, I looked, COVID's yeah. still here, like, especially no, yeah. now. I literally looked it up, right? Like, I had to look it up. I'm like, is, it, it looked, it's in the criminal code. If you spit on someone, it is assault, right? right. Like, um, and so, um, you know, th- I don't think this is going to go away. But, you know, if, if, if Ottawa's cleared and the border areas are cleared, then for the most part, I do think maybe we're going to kind of move on from it. But we'll have to see. Again, we might get more news about police involvement and investigations into this uh, will be will be big. And I know the people in Ottawa are not going to move on because there are still mm-hmm. uh, you know a lot of questions to be asked about accountability from the local police and the local government. And those yeah. I don't even think that's really started yet. If we're being honest, and there's still there's still these people there. Like there are still holdouts that have said. I'm never going to leave. So we'll see if that continues maybe two weeks from now. But if you live in these areas, it may not be getting uh, the national attention it was before. But I do think there will, unfortunately, be some of the worst people still in these areas making your life hell. You know, we'll see if this act actually can can do anything about them. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think that the active crisis, so to speak, the emergency, so to speak, could possibly be over when it comes to the Freedom Convoy. Uh, Christo, before we go into another heavy, heavy topic, I'm talking nuclear annihilation. Before we get into that, I want to go to our our Discord here. We got a nice little Discord. If you want to join our community, patreon.com slash Canada. Oh, it's threw up there. Um, so left turn, th- this little Patreon community that we started just to give people a chance to to talk and, and to have questions on the show, it's uh, really moved in the last couple weeks, you know, so we really appreciate all the new patrons that are, are joining us. But here is the question from arguably Arugula, Christo and Andy, what are your bets that the Queen of England 
is in fact no longer with us and dead. Christo. <laughs> I'm going to disappoint people <gasps> because I, I think that she's probably still alive. Oh, and Christo. it's just kind of old. Right? <laughs> like, it doesn't do Kind of old. Like, look, Come on. <laughs> look. I am a believer in some what some people call conspiracy theories. There's a great conspiracy theory pyramid, uh, and it's like an inverse pyramid, you know, where the where the base is at the at, at the top, and you know the, the the conspiracy theories at the at the 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 lower level of it are all just things that probably happened, like yeah. <laughs> like the, the you know the. the, the you know, COINTEL Pro, mm -hmm. you know, governments planting drugs in yeah. minority communities. The, 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 these are these are things that MLK, happen. You know, them, nothing bad yeah, happened yeah. with MLK, yeah, you yeah. know, stuff like, like the, that. The FBI killed MLK. These are all just like facts. Like, yeah. And one is like Epstein. Like Epstein mm -hmm. was murdered. I, I, I don't know who did it, but Epstein was murdered. Maybe uh, Hillary and Donald Trump uh, in a bipartisan moment co-hired an assassin. <laughs> To kill See, that, that's the, the second level, yeah. right? That's when yeah. you get on a higher no, tier. No, 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 that one's no, that, that one's in fact. That's that's not that they were involved. But yeah, no, Epstein, they were Epstein involved. Thing, yeah, yeah. Ep Epstein, Epstein, uh, you know, was was murdered. In Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and so was his friend that just got murdered. But so I am not averse to like disagreeing with the media narratives. But I really think the queen is alive. That that I know deep fakes are a thing now. But her speech, her Christmas speech, looked pretty new. She did a an appearance uh, a week or two ago where she like met with people and cut a cake, and I don't know. I think the logical explanation is that she's alive, but she's also super old and probably isn't out very often. So I think she's there we go. It. So yeah. I I'm gonna get a little tastier here. I think that as soon as they announced that Prince, An Prince Andrew, who of course was involved with the oh, uh, yes. Epstein, uh, just all the horrible yes, things. Yes, yeah. Speaking of Epstein, yeah. Uh, first, like, maybe I'm going too much of a tangent here, but no, no. Uh, her son uh, uh, Andrew is an Epstein associate, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, is if I think just settled in court. Did he settle? Yes, he did. Yeah. They didn't ultimately go to trial, but he he it was going to. He was going to be forced into a trial, a civil trial, where one of the 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 girls at the time, like a literal child at the time, you know, said that he he did terrible things to her. He was very famous because yeah. he was the one that in an interview tried to explain that, you know, it couldn't have been me. I couldn't have sexually assaulted these women because yeah. I physically can't sweat. You know, I was in an accident in the Falcons Falklands, so I, I can't sweat anymore. And every everyone just looked around like, are you, are you insane? Like, wh what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, he was definitely going to lose that case. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, but but yes, go. Yeah, they're timing about it. Yeah. So that that's my thought. So about about the queen, I do think that after it was announced that he is losing his his royal, what was it, his accolades and permissions. Yeah, he lost certain titles. Yeah, and he certain lost titles. Certain, like yeah, access. I think that is that indicated to me the queen was dead and they're just trying to figure out what the fuck to do because they don't know what they're going to do with Charles. It's, it's just a big mess. Everyone hates the monarchy perhaps more than ever right now. It's gone back into vogue of despising them. So I want to take the other side of the coin that, you know, these were the people that had to walk around with big bags of blood of the queen and Prince Philip because they were so old. So if you're, if you're someone that walks around that has your attache that has your own blood in it, I think it's easy to disappear you. I'm going to go with that. 
And yeah, why don't we talk about now the threat of nuclear annihilation? Crystal, you think we should jump a nice little segue to that? Does that work? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's let's, let's like end light. Let's end light, <laughs> let's end light here. So you you probably know by now. This was I think happened on Monday. Looking back. Uh, Vladimir Putin deployed Russian troops into two separatist regions in the country's border of Ukraine. People got very, very upset about it. He tried to explain that, no, 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 these rebel-held regions uh, were, in fact, you know, when they were recognized as independent by the Ukrainian officials, they said, no, it's not, and these troops are going in as peacekeepers. The UN reacted, and now it looks like we're being pushed towards something that we could call conflict. Now, here in Canada, it seems as though generally, and we you have some polls here, Christo, on this, that there is support for a conflict in the Ukraine between uh, you, you know, the Ukraine and Russia and Canada at least being involved. We've heard from almost every major party leader here in Canada that there is support for the conflict in general, what that support is, I think, differs depending on, you know, how bloodthirsty you are. But there doesn't seem to be, and I, I really thought there would be, in this interval in 2022, after we went through the early 2000s with a, a war being pushed from North America that was fueled by Islamophobia and hate, I thought that maybe now there wouldn't be as much vitriol considering it's not an excuse for people to, to say how much they hate Arabs as, you know, quote-unquote Arabs. I thought maybe we were past that, but to me it does seem like the military-industrial complex has a new target in sight, and Canada, Canada and Canadians generally support this idea. You know, where do you think? So yeah, let, let's let's take the ball a little bit with that. What do most Canadians support in this conflict that's coming? Yeah. So just one quick thing. This is breaking news, and it's fucking hilarious. So I'm okay. Read this out. Let's do it. Uh, this is from uh, Cormac McSweeney, who's a uh, City News reporter. Uh, who says in his submission to get Pat King released, Pat King, white nationalist fucker, who um, uh, got got uh, arrested and he's one of the co uh, convoy leaders. Uh, his defense lawyer mentioned that the COVID risk in jail for King is a lot higher than if we were out on bail and in the home of his surety. I will note that one of the goals of the protest was to try and end all COVID restrictions. Amazing. So, um, yeah, he uh, oh. one of the comments here about... Uh, uh, in the reply said his fear mandates, not COVID just change to fear COVID, uh, just to fear COVID. Yeah. It's, it, it's, wow. it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It's all bullshit yeah. folks. Like how many yeah. times do I have to say it? It's all bullshit. Yeah. 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 All right. Krista, yeah. what do Canadians think about this, this conflict? Are we, are we calling it a war conflict? What are people calling it now? I mean, I don't know what the legal definition is. I don't think war has been declared yeah. technically because like Putin has recognized these countries, but he hasn't declared war on Ukraine to assert the... So I don't know if there's a formal war, but it's definitely a conflict. But if we're calling it a conflict, it's likely existed before this. I mean, the basic premise is Hundreds that most years, yeah. Canadians... And this is before the formal announcement of that of that separatism the most canadians want to do something but the only option that actually has majority support is humanitarian aid so yeah. 59% of canadians want to send food medical supplies medical personnel all of that stuff to the to to ukraine um to help them in this 
almost 50%, it's basically uh, 49% want to provide cybersecurity and intelligence support. About 40%, 36 to 40% support things like, these are all kind of roughly together, extend uh, military training, targeted economic sanctions against Russia, total economic sanctions against Russia. These have anywhere from 36 to 44, it was declining in those three. Only 13% of Canadians want direct troops on the ground fighting like Russia. Yeah. Fi or fighting the rebels or however you want to define it. And 20% want Canada to fully stay out. So clearly there is some interest here. And you can tell because all the political parties in Canada, yeah. uh, at least in, in, in their own ways, have sort of backed this conflict, right? Mm -hmm. At least all the, uh, the, 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 main, the main three parties have. Um, I think it's a mixture of the fact that uh, Russia isn't very popular. Yeah, Putin's not very popular. Putin's a bad guy, frankly. Uh, Putin's regime is is anti-democratic. Putin's regime is uh, regressive. It's homophobic. Uh, it's you know misogynistic. Uh, it, it's not a. It's he's not a good guy, right? It's like mm -hmm. the left doesn't need to defend Vladimir Putin. This is not a socialist republic. This is not us defending Cuba, who, despite its flaws. Has in many ways been a shining example for what socialism can accomplish, despite such you know adversity. Now, Russia is a capitalist state; like it, it, they are bad guys, right? In in a lot of ways, like the the Russian leadership, and so you don't need to defend them. Um, and we have to remember that Canada has a large Ukrainian population. Mm -hmm. About four percent of Canadians identify as Ukrainian, which makes it one of the biggest minority groups in the country. Right. Uh, yeah. When you think beyond, say, French and English, once you get down there about it, it, it's it's I think only slightly smaller than the amount of people who are indigenous in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, and they are especially concentrated in certain parts of the country, making those politicians in particular, especially reluctant to do anything that criticizes Ukraine or is seen as being soft on Russia, especially in the West, Manitoba, Alberta, Saskatchewan, as many as 14% of the population in some of these places identify as Ukrainian. So you're looking at one in six, one in seven, one in eight um, people in some of those prairie provinces identify as Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it makes sense why this is a major political issue. It sort of unites all three political parties uh, in different ways to different intensities but uh, it's one of those things that I don't think you're going to see a lot of pushback uh, from a lot of mainstream sources in Canada. But again, it should be made clear that at least as of right now, there is no broad support for direct military involvement. Yeah. Despite right? the fact that it was still, announced today that, you know, Trudeau is planning not to send forces into Ukraine, into Latvia, and sanctions are coming on the way as much as can, Canada can do to Russia. But it does seem like the fact that, you know, Canadian armed forces that are in that region are, are going to a, a neighboring country that does seem like a bit of bolstering NATO in a way that I, I didn't expect to happen you know, right away. It's definitely not what that 13% of Canadians actually wanted, but we no. are, we are getting the sanctions and it's probably more underlying. Like if you were going to classify it, you'd probably throw it into that training category. Yeah. The implication being it's a small number of specialized Canadian forces that are largely there uh, on everything from maybe cybersecurity to training. And that has significant support not majority support, but likely plurality support. If you were to poll Canadians mm -hmm. on that, so right now, I mean, it, it most Canadians probably support 
the broad thrust of the government. Um, but I mean, I have concerns, right? Like my, my, my concern was never that Canada should not help Ukraine. My concern was always that Ukraine has a real problem with fascism Mm -hmm. in its, in its forces. And this isn't to say that Russia also doesn't because there are right-wing militias in Russia. There are there one hundred percent right wing militia. We aren't training those ones though. Yeah, Christo. well, exactly. We are not allied with them. Yeah, and so it's like there's a difference between criticizing something in an abstract sense and then and then in directly enabling something. It's why it's especially egregious. We sell weapons to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's not just that Saudi Arabia is bad. It's that they're bad and we arm them and make money from it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like and so in many ways, I have concerns about that. And so uh, my, my, my view all along, and this was never going to happen because uh, in Canada, uh, among certain portions of the, of the population, there's not only tolerance, but support for certain aspects of Ukraine's far right history. But uh, I always thought that, you know, support could be offered in a defensive conditional basis if Ukraine was to uh, remove all of the uh, elements of fascist militia within its country. Now, I've been simultaneously told by people that support the, the the Ukrainian position that one, the war is so essential and the war is so hard right now that they can't spare any man. But simultaneously, too, they're tiny and totally insignificant. Yeah. And so, if these right wing forces really are so tiny and insignificant and utterly meaningless, then it shouldn't be an issue to get rid of them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to to disarm them. Uh, and in some cases, arrest leadership that have you know committed crimes and, and what have you. Um, but uh, look, there's no doubt that Putin is the aggressor here. Like mm. in the sense that, like you know, you you do see some people, um, certain types of conservative voices in Can- in the United States, especially Candace Owens type people. Uh, the Candace Owens, I don't know if you recall, called for Canada to be invaded and yes. uh, for us Bond, to be liberated yeah. by Justin Trudeau. She sim- also said that you know. Uh, the West is the aggressor against Russia in this case, which I don't think is fully fair mm-hmm. uh, at, at this point. Right. I don't think it's fully fair, but um, I I'm, I'm in a position personally where um, I have real reservations about uncritical support for Ukraine because of, elements in that society yeah but i also recognize and and so does much of the world there was a fantastic speech last night by the united nations delegate from kenya because the united nations had an emergency security council meeting last night and most of the world seems to be sympathetic to the ukrainian position that while there are some points to be made frankly about the fact that many of the people in these parts of eastern ukraine identify as Russian, as ethnic Russians, as linguistic Russians, and want to be capital R, like, you know, political Russians. But this way of achieving it hasn't worked in the spirit of, like, peace for a lot of people. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, my, no, my, I, I, yeah. I do think, Chris, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Finish yeah, no, 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 you go. No, you go. Yeah. I just, I, I think I do find myself absolutely with a lot of the other leftist voices here yeah. in, in Canada that are just completely anti-interventionist on this one. Like, yeah. I, I, I really do yeah. see no value in 
Canadian forces, Canadian uh, sanctions or any sort of punitive measures against a conflict in which there is this this muddied of the waters. But worse than that, for me, I think it does bleed into this notion of feeding the military industrial complex that was developed in North America and, and pointedly in uh, the United States after World War II as the only necessity for moving empire and economies forward. Like the fact that this is still seen and frankly is, I think, so necessary for the continued way that things work in the United States to have, you know, empires versus empires. And unfortunately, if the United States empire went into any sort of other major conflict against China, that wouldn't end well. So this is kind of a perfect situation for feeding that beast. And I, I just feel like the fact that we don't have a strong voice here in Canada politically that that is of you know, a major consequence that is advocating for pure anti-interventionists here, I think is going to lose a lot of leftists. But like you said, some of the polling says we got almost 60% of Canadians believe that we need to be involved in some way. Even Jagmeet, I have his statement here because I think it is pretty interesting. Putin has walked away from peace and inches towards the horrors of war. New Democrats condemn the attack on the territorial integrity of Ukraine with the escalating threat of future invasion. Canada must guard the safety, security, and sovereignty of the Ukrainian people. I really fundamentally don't agree with that last statement that he said, that Canada must guard the safety, security, and sovereignty of the Ukrainian people. I don't believe that's the role of government. And I think there's a lot of Canadians that that see the same thing. It's not the same sort of existential threats that we've seen before. And the issue is this could not a 0% chance provoke existential threats that are much larger. I know it, yeah. it's a little trite to say, but this could lead to a conflict in which these actual empires could be involved in ways that could lead to mass death. So it's just not something that we're seeing in Canada from a major political voice. So I'm wondering, you know, if it's just, are we too far gone? Like, is it just not an option considering this train has been on this path for so long since world war two, or, you know, is this, is this just frankly, you know, I'm in the minority here. Cause I, I guarantee some people listening right now, we're upset at what Jugmeet said. And I, oh, I count myself among them because of not because it's like not, uh, you know, not serious enough, but just because it puts us in a position that maybe we shouldn't be like, what about trying to continue peace talks? Like, what about trying to further that effort? Like, we just we aren't seeing that. And I, I'm, yeah. I feel really in a fog here, Christo. Normally, I feel like we can kind of get a sense of what Canadians are, are looking for and maybe understanding it. But I don't understand that 60 percent that do think that, you know, there is some some value in Canada being involved in this territorial dispute that in some places of Eastern Ukraine has been going on since the Crimean Khanate from like the 1600s yeah. there. Like it is, it's, it's not, I, I just, I don't get it. And I'd love to, you know, you, you got your, your, uh, your fingers on the pulse on this one. What do you, what do you think? I mean, I don't know. I think you're right that there's a large portion of the left that is critical of any involvement here. There are some leftists, I don't think this is anywhere near a majority, uh, that, 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 that actually support Russian involvement. I've, I've seen some 
cheer this on. Uh, they, they, they see Russia as the victim here. Uh, I don't know if that's a mainstream position. I think the mainstream, you know, strident left position is largely non-intervention uh, for a variety of reasons. Just out of principle, they just, they're, they're non-interventionist. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think, again, there's a there's a real concern, and this is, remains a concern for me as well, that the forces in these countries are far more linked to the far right than we would like to admit. Um, one of, uh, you know, uh, there was a, a, a great tweet here of, of somebody in Finland giving their comments, and then for, uh, there was a BBC article that it was only a few years ago that Finland was still using the swastika in its Air Force symbol. <laughs> Jesus in 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 and Finland's like it's like Finland's not even like you know you think it, Finland's uh got the welfare state and all of that it's mm-hmm. it doesn't have the same far-right problem that Ukraine does at least in, in in terms of stereotypical perception but the fact of the matter is like these countries have deep-rooted combinations between their desire yes to be free of Russian imperialism that that that, that is somewhat true but it was melded into their own ethnic identities and critically in many cases to anti-Jewish, anti-Roma mm-hmm. sentiment, right? And yeah. so the reality is some of those things still exist. Um, and in many ways, the resistance is connected to far-right forces. And again, so are a lot of the goals of Russia. Russia's mm-hmm. goal is not to build an international proletarian movement. There, it's it's an it's it's a it's a conservative or right wing nationalist project as well. But again, we're not allied with them, right? Yeah, that that's and what so, really pushes yeah. it to a point that I just that morally, it, like I am of the anti interventionist policy just generally. But even if you're looking past that, this is so not clear cut. This is not neither side yeah. is really like I don't know how you can have the moral clarity to really believe that you know this side is the right side in this and if you're not being fueled by islamophobia that i think pushed north america into various wars in the middle east for you know almost 100 years then i don't know what the fuel is is it solely you know the unification of like resistance libs and neoliberalism that russia is an existential threat to democracy is it something deeper than that or is it just you know that this empire still needs to feed and now it's enough to have Russia as a subversive enemy simply because, you know, they threatened our election in the United States and we're getting, you know, some of the tangential uh, blowback of that. Like I just, I I've tried to understand what a liberal voter, what a uh, democratic voter die in the wool sees in this as fuel for the reason why because there is as you said there's a lot of support and it's support in a way that is kind of unquestioning and it just to me speaks to a a real lack of insight of what happened the last time these great military forces decided to to enter these sort of proxy conflicts like it just it's it's real doom and gloom here for me man like i i 60 and we know what's happened in the last 60 years like it's just oh man yeah. i'm i'm not following and uh i normally I feel like a few i am factors here it's like one putin is not a sympathetic figure yeah his government is a a a, a you know uh, lacks I think full democratic legitimacy. I wouldn't call Russia a full-on autocracy. There is there is systems of democracy in Russia, and there's divisions of power and whatnot. Um, but you know, uh, there's a, 
a sense that Putin is not necessarily a sympathetic figure in the way that the left would find someone like, say, Evo Morales, not just sympathetic, but heroic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, look, I mean, this is... I think that Putin's move to recognize the separatist regions was a tipping point for a lot of people. Even our friend Bernie Sanders. Yeah. uh, Our friend Bernie Sanders, who, again, will take foreign policy takes that are unpopular. For example, when everyone was either supporting the coup against Morales um, or was at the very least staying silent about it because they didn't want to comment, Bernie Sanders called called the coup a coup. He called Mm -hmm. the coup a coup. Uh, the NDP did as well, but in, you know, within American politics, most politicians supported that coup, Democrat and uh, Republican. Uh, when when uh, they, uh, you know, that famous moment where John, Donald Trump said, "America will never be a socialist country," all the progressive senators sitting around Bernie, like Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey, yeah. who are in the U.S. in the U.S. context are about as good as you get in many cases, stood up and cheered with Trump. Bernie didn't. This is a man that will take unpopular positions. And yet, here's what he said. And I do find, I'm not just saying you have to agree with Bernie here, but it is, you know, when Bernie speaks, I listen. And he said, Vladimir Vladimir Putin's latest invasion of Ukraine. And again, this is the debate people have. Is it an invasion or not? In the sense, if you recognize it as a distinct territory that's now an independent nation, are you invading the Ukraine or are you bolstering a new ally? Putin will say the latter. Most of the world right now is saying the former. Most mm-hmm. of the uh, uh, of the world. But it says Vladimir Putin's latest invasion of Ukraine is an independent, indefensible violation of international law, regardless of whatever false pretext he offers. There was always been a, there's always been a, dep- a diplomatic solution to the situation. Tragically, Putin appears intent on rejecting it. The United States must now work with our allies in the international community to impose sanctions on Putin and his oligarchs, including denying them access to the billions of dollars they have stashed in European and American banks. The U.S. and our partners must also prepare for a worst-case scenario, by, for a worse scenario, by helping Ukraine's neighbors care for refugees fleeing this conflict. Finally, in the longer term, we must invest in a global clean energy transition away from fossil fuels, not <laughs> only to combat climate change, but to deny authoritarian petrostates the revenues they require to survive. One of the arguments being Russia, beyond primary resource extraction doesn't have a lot going for it but uh, i don't think canadians should be casting too many stones because we we're 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 an oil company a bank and uh you know uh i don't know maybe a mining company (laughs) in a trench coat right yeah exactly but like but 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 you know bernie bernie i think captures i think a position that's held by a lot of people um and so i do think that I, I, I that that there's going to be broad support for sanctions, military involvement, and and certainly I would support this. I would support refugees. I think the left yeah. uh, would support that uh, because even if you don't support the roots of the conflict, even if you think the Ukrainian regime is partially responsible, there are people on the ground both in Ukraine and Russia that will pay the price as it often is regular people mm-hmm. uh, pay the price for war pay the price for conflict while the others profit but the um, reality is like it, it seems like Putin's latest move has has turned a lot of people uh, into at least cautious supporters of the Ukrainian cause but the real question is how far are people willing to go right 
-hmm. Are people going to, like if the Canadian government and the American government take the plunge and want to send troops, 10, 15, 20,000 troops, let's say, or whatever, right? What will people say then? We don't know the answer to that. The, the polling right now says they don't support that, but that polling was taken before Putin made this move. Yeah. Um, so, th again, none of this is to say, oh, the polling shows that the Canadians largely support intervention and Bernie said this and Jagmeet said that. So if you're listening to this, you have to support the conflict. But I think it is to say that, like, the left um, hasn't been able to... Uh, you know, win the narrative here on mm. an anti-conflict, a total, a total anti-intervention mandate. Although there is room to fight back against direct military involvement in lieu of pushing for, um, you know, uh, humanitarian aid. So yeah. that, that might be a silver lining. I, I do can, think that yeah. most Canadians should, and, I, and most left is listening, will agree that there needs to be humanitarian aid and, of course, refugee access to Canada for uh, people affected by this conflict or war, whatever it will be. But if you are someone who is moved by the fact that, you know, there is a border dispute in Ukraine and Russia with uh, ethnic majorities there that have gone back and forth for a real long time. It's a complicated issue. I don't claim to be, you know, aware of all of the nuances of it. And you're willing to support a conflict between possibly two superpowers that could lead to, we joke about it, but to actual even further existential crises, like, I don't know what to say to you. Like, I, I really do think that maybe there's a portion of people that, that aren't considering the, the real ramifications of this, that are living in a cold world, cold war mentality when it comes to these imperial powers fighting. And it's that existential anxiety I have. And I think other people listening have like, no, we got to stop this. Like we can't even flirt with this idea. We, it has to be anti-interventionist because of the stakes that are here. Like you said, if a week from now, all of a sudden the conflict starts to heat up more and there's even whispers of, you know, uh, the United States putting real troops on the ground. I do wonder what will be the Canadian position. I hope I my hope of hope is that the very least Jagmeet Singh will say, you know, we cannot continue with that. We need to provide humanitarian aid. We need to make sure that we have refugee access and hopefully the rest of Canada follows suit because for me, and I think many of you listening out here, this is a serious existential threat that we shouldn't be out supporting and 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 hoping for yeah. conflict. Like let's let's yeah. let's try. There are like, a lot on, of people. A, there seem to be a lot of people really eager for war. And again, we just have to underline this. Even if you think Putin's the bad guy and he is, and even if you think Russia's the aggressor and he probably is, there like the Canada's been hanging out with some really unsavory people <laughs> in yeah. Ukraine and those problems are not just going away and it's easy to say okay yeah but in the threat of an immediate invasion we have to look past that but we have to remember that for years now we have been willing to work with Nazis and to train yeah. Nazis and arm Nazis and empower Nazis in Ukraine to serve our geopolitical goals and even if you you know don't like Russia the reality is Canada's done some real, real bad things. These groups have been criticized by Jewish groups the world over because they know that some of these people would support the Holocaust. Maybe yeah. if it happened again, that that there this the, the problems here are not going away. 
And yeah. just because we're armed, just because Putin's also far right and he's got his Nazis and all that doesn't mean that our hands are going to be clean of some real, real messy shit uh, after this is all said and done. Even there if you support go. this, no blind, the, the blind support we're seeing from like many Canadian politicians, frankly, mm-hmm. and the media is, is, is really bad. And it's going to look bad historically, even if ultimately it was the lesser of two evils to support Ukraine. Yeah. And if you're the person that is really concerned about the Emergencies Act and what this means for uh, Canadian democracy and the civil liberties of those that live in this country, but you also really support the idea of Canada being involved in this conflict, I don't know if we'll ever be able to communicate. Like I've never, I don't know if I can know someone that has that speaks a more different language than I. You've you missed the plot. You've got it backwards, folks. Uh, yeah. So we're we're all done this week. Thanks again for listening, and hopefully the world will not be done before next week because we want to talk to you. If you want to join our little community, Patreon.com/slash Left Turn Canada. You can uh, hit us up on Twitter, Left Turn Canada. We also got email lefttorncanada at gmail.com get some good questions there and uh, maybe next week we'll get a, a couple more questions in we'll see what's happening what other bright and cheery thing we can talk about here eh Christo yeah well hopefully there'll be some bright and cheery stuff but I don't know